the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Wednesday, June 22nd, 2022. I am Seth Liebson. Uh, We have a guest uh, producer pro tem today in Jeremy. Jeremy, thanks for joining us. Bill is out today. He'll be back tomorrow. Much appreciated. You want to say hi to the audience? Tell them anything about yourself they need to know? Hello, everybody. Um, I'm a big Seth Leibson. Oh. I can tell you that. <laughs> no, you're sweet. We've known Jeremy for a long time here. And if you want to call in, he is who will answer your phone call. 602-508-0960. 602-508-0960. I have a lot we want to do today. Uh, and yeah, we're going to talk about uh, what the Senate is doing uh, on gun laws, what we're going to talk about, what the Republicans are, are doing, quote unquote Republicans. Maybe we should talk about what it means to be a Republican. Maybe we should talk about what it means to be somewhat intelligent at all. Let me let me suspend the discussion on the Second Amendment just for a moment. I was reading I, I just once in a while I'll, I'll scan the Washington Post op ed section. Uh, used to be a fantastic op-ed section, by the way. Used to be, like so many things, used to be fantastic when it came to op-eds, journalism, and opinion. Now it just stinks. Uh, Jennifer Rubin has been there for a long time. She was hired as a conservative. Uh, she is traded in uh, when she was originally hired. Must have been around 2006 or so. She has traded in almost every conservative credential uh, that one could think of, um, but. She still considers herself and describes herself as a conservative. It, you, you can call yourself uh, Napoleon. It just doesn't make it so. And I was reading her piece. I was curious because she went off on the um, Supreme Court decision we discussed yesterday in my monologue. And I'm going to have Brett Johnson on to discuss it a little bit more. It was a big decision uh, allowing uh, parents – to use uh, for lack of a – well, just to use the term of the vernacular, uh, it allows parents to use vouchers or public money to uh, pay for their children's education if they choose to take that money, that state money, to a school that is a religious school. Uh, it took away the distinction between religious schools and non-religious schools or what's known as uh, uh, parochial schools and non-parochial schools. So you can do now in in elementary and secondary what a lot of people have known you could do with colleges and universities. Uh, take something like uh, the GI Bill or, or, or any, any, any federal subvention for education. Uh, as Bill Bennett likes to say, you could take that and do your freshman year at Brigham Young University. You could do your sophomore year at Yeshiva University. You could do your junior year at Notre Dame. And uh, you could do your uh, senior year at um, you could do your senior year at Oral Roberts. You would be uh, perhaps theologically confused, but you would be in perfect consonance with uh, the legal constraints of the First Amendment and um, the freedom of religion uh, clause uh, therein. So now you can do that uh, with elementary and secondary as a result of the Supreme Court's decision. So. How does Jennifer Rubin, the con- the conservative op-ed writer at the Washington Post, put it? She writes this in her op-ed today. 
She writes, Carson v. Macon, that was the name of the case, Carson v. Macon might not be the most high-profile case the Supreme Court will decide this term, but its decision requiring Maine to provide funding to private sectarian schools starkly demonstrates the right-wing justices' increasing affinity for the views of Christian nationalists. Right-wing justices. Remember, this was written by John Roberts, who when he was up for uh, Supreme Court justice, uh, Jennifer Rubin back in those days was supportive of. But this notion uh, that the decision starkly demonstrates the right-wing justices' increasing affinity for the views of Christian nationalists. Some of us aren't totally in tune with the fever swamps that go on in her brain. She's thinking Christian nationalism when she reads what John Roberts wrote yesterday and was signed on to by, uh, let's see, uh, how many other justices? Four other other justices. Here's the thing about that. You look up what Christian nationalism is— if you don't know what it is already, look it up. You can find any 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 number of websites that will help you to find it. I just went to Christianity Today. I thought that would be as fair a source as any. Christian nationalism is the belief that the American nation is defined by Christianity and that the government should take active steps to keep it that way. If you dig a little deeper, you will find that this is primarily a Protestant movement. It's not Protestantism, but those who claim to be Christian nationalists and who somewhat affiliate with that point of view, it, it tends to be Protestant. It's it's not a Catholic thing, not very much, and certainly not very much in America. Do you realize there's not a Protestant on the U.S. Supreme Court? Not a single one? There's not a single Protestant. Now, Ketanji uh, Brown-Jackson would be the first in a long time. She's just not on the Supreme Court yet. Stephen Breyer is the seat she takes uh, when he leaves the court. He, for what it's worth, is also not a Protestant. But in any event, she, she will. Be, I, I don't know how Jennifer Rubin can write these things unless she simply doesn't understand what she's talking about. And I do think it is that. I do think it's very much that. The decision requiring Maine to provide funding to private sectarian schools, that's wrong too. She has the setup entirely wrong. I don't want to get into that right now. We can do it with Brett Johnson later in the show. Uh, Long and short of it is uh, Maine had a system that uh, in rural areas uh, you could take your uh, state education money to uh, any school of your choice except a religious school. That's called discrimination. That's called favoring irreligion over religion. The Supreme Court struck that down, said you cannot favor favor irreligion over religion. You have to at least be neutral at least be neutral in the decision of parents making their education decisions as between they want a religious education or a non-religious education. Jen Rubin should know better. She should know a lot better. She has totally misunderstood the First Amendment, and she has totally misunderstood it in a sense that makes one want to think about what it means to actually have religious freedom in this country. George Washington, you know, he's getting a little bit of a comeback right now thanks to the Heroes of Liberty uh, project, book project, uh, Bethany Mandel and those folks. George Washington 
is the person who probably gave us this sense and sensibility more than anyone else when in 1790 he delivered an address to a Jewish synagogue in uh, Rhode Island. A Jewish synagogue in Rhode Island that George Washington addressed was the first time, as Harry Jaffa put it, the first time the leader of a nation spoke directly to Jews as minorities conveying upon them full and equal rights. Never before in all human history had Jews ever been addressed in this way by a non-Jewish head of state, Jaffa put it. But Washington was explicit that Jews were equal in their civil and political rights because they were equal in those natural rights that had been set forth both in the Declaration of Independence and the Virginia Statute of Religious Liberty, those same natural rights that in here and attached to and are protected by the Second Amendment, about which I'm going to speak in just a moment. But as long as I have our attention on this letter that George Washington wrote, the contents of it, I think, have always served or should always have served as the template for what religious freedom in America means. People try to make it complicated. George Washington made it simple. He said, he wrote, all possess alike, all, meaning everyone in this country, all possess alike liberty of conscience, and immunities of citizenship. It is now no more that toleration is spoken of, as if it was by the indulgence of one class of people, that another enjoyed the exercise of these inherent natural rights. In other words, inherent natural rights should not depend on someone else giving them to you. They're natural rights because they inhere already when you're born. He went on, For happily the government of the United States which gives to bigotry no sanction and to persecution no assistance, requires only that they who live under its protection should demean themselves as good citizens in giving it, on all occasions, their effectual support. That's all we're asking. Follow whatever religion you like under the First Amendment so long as you are a good citizen and you give this country your support. That's the test. That's the test. What Jennifer Rubin is trying to say is, yeah, but if you're religious, you just can't use public monies to go to school lest we become something like a Christian nation. This is what a Christian nation looks like. This is what a Christian nation looks like. When George Washington said, all have their rights here, and I'm going to tell you right now, a court of Catholics and Jews did not vote yesterday and did not write yesterday to protect some version of of Protestantism that most people have never heard of. I can guarantee you that right now. We need better writers. We need better thinkers. We need better newspapers. And we need more decisions like we got yesterday without the nonsense that you get from the dim-witted like Jen Rubin. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, parts of which are brought to you by the Midas Gold Group, the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. Midas Gold has intel that you will want. They have in their crosshairs a major concern about economic flattening of historic proportions that will commence this year. Time is of the essence to protect your investment. Call Midas Gold Group to find out what they're talking about what they've analyzed and put together, 480-360-3000. They have the intel. They have the experience. They have it all. It's the only precious metal dealer I use, Seb Gorka uses, and thousands of you already use. MidasGoldGroup.com, veteran-owned Midas Gold. MidasGoldGroup.com is their website. We probably 
in all our conversations about what it is to be a conservative, what it means to be a conservative, and I keep threatening to write a book on this, what does it mean to be a Republican? What does it mean to be a Republican? Last night, 14 Republicans signed off on what's called the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. The Bipartisan Safety Communities Act is described by Business Insider. You all know what it is, but it's, quote unquote, the gun safety bill, which provisions include federal support for states enforcing red flag laws, additional funding for mental health services, and closing the boyfriend loophole. Fourteen Republicans stick on the red flag law thing for a moment. Fourteen Republicans voted to advance this. Fourteen. Some surprises in there, some not. John Cornyn did. Mitch McConnell did, Roy Blunt did, Richard Byrd did, Shelley Capito did, Bill Cassidy did, Sue Collins did, Joni Ernst did, Lindsey Graham did, Lisa Murkowski did, Rob Portman did, Mitt Romney did, Tom Tillis did, and Todd Young did. And we and they don't know what's in it. By the way, 14 Republicans, do you know what we're going through in Arizona here? We're doing our level best to win the Senate over, to give you guys a majority. And to do that, we need to replace, in November, Senator Kelly here. We need to replace Senator Kelly here to do that. He's vulnerable, and we can do that. But you just gave him a big boost of support and a whole series of new ads. This is his legislation. This is his – he is the sponsor of the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. He is. And you 14 Republicans just gave him ads from here until November and support from here until November. Think about that if you don't get your majority because you helped Mark Kelly out. Aside from the politics, it's the policy within it that is so – that is so – um. That is so disconcerting. That is so obnoxious. Let me give you David Harsani on this. It's clear that the Bipartisan Safer Safer Communities Act was written in a rush by politicians far more interested in doing something about guns than proposing any well-considered ideas. That's surely the reason the Senate took a procedural vote only a few hours after releasing the text. And while they'll probably pass the full bill, in a few days. It's going to take years, however, to figure out how it all works. Isn't that lovely? Another piece of legislation you have to pass to find out what's in it. The bill's numerous vague, open-ended provisions will almost surely be abused by prosecutors, cops, aggrieved family members, exes, and political opponents. And in the meantime, the likelihood that any of its provisions will help mitigate mass shootings is infinitesimal. That said, no one should fool themselves. Though many conservatives will be furious about the bill, it's going to be tough to make an efforted campaign against it right now. Facing this string of horrific school shootings, school shootings, it's hard to beat back the Democrats and the media when it comes to badgering us with this kinds of legislation. But they didn't have to do it. They didn't have to do it. John Cornyn said, since the shooting my, in Uvalde, since the shooting, my office has received tens of thousands of calls, letters, and emails with a singular message. Do something. Not do nothing, but do something. Cornyn spent more time bragging about the things he rejected 
last night than championing the useful ideas he brought to the bill because it almost surely is the case that he brought none. This bill exists so that Republicans can say they did something, not nothing, but something. What does that something look like? No one presumably opposes new federal support for enhanced school security or mental health funding. Probably not, except for maybe some of the Democrats who have been talking about who have been talking about the Republicans and conservatives who have no business speaking about mental health, that the issue of mental health is, to use Chris Murphy's phrase, bull you-know-what, when Republicans speak about it. Another big chunk of the law is filler, though, reiterating the illegality of trafficking and straw purchases. Gun control advocates often point to the low prosecution rates for those crimes, but that has far more to do with authorities failing to enforce laws that already exist than a lack of laws. On the red flag law funding, this is probably the most controversial provision. The bill makes a big show of demanding protections for due process rights and against infringements of the Constitution. It demands there be penalties against the abuse of the program. You know what? All of that is unenforceable. All of it. And we've heard it before. And we've heard it before time and again. A number of blue states have already passed red flag laws that nullify gun rights on the word of third-party accusations accusations and not only demand that accused prove their innocence before having their rights reinstated, but allow for property searches without evidentiary standards that most of us are used to under the due process standards of the Constitution. Until the United States Supreme Court undoes these laws, which is you know highly unlikely, states will receive funding for them. But it's one thing for California or Rhode Island to do so. And it's another for national Republicans to be funding these efforts, which is what those 14 are doing now. Moreover, and by the way, the bill passes. If, the, if, if, you, if, you, get, if you get every single Democrat and one Republican, the bill passes. You've got probably at least 14. Is it possible a couple of them will say they just wanted the bill to move forward in advance? Is that possible? Yeah. Maybe you got 12. Maybe you have 12. So the bill's going to pass. Moreover, there's scant evidence, Harsani writes, that he's the uh, scholar on this. He wrote a book on the history of the Second Amendment. There is scant evidence that red flag laws do much to prevent violence. Most studies that contend to prove that they work do so by drilling into the consciousness of those who've lost their guns and predicting their behavior. The Washington Post, Glenn Kessler, not a NRA champion at all, went through every mass shooting since 2015 and came up with only two instances, two where red flag laws might, might have potentially stopped a shooter. In one of them, the Parkland Massacre, the police had ignored outright threats made by the shooter that already have allowed them to take away his guns. This is the same thing in Uvalde. You're listening to the testimonies taking place in Uvalde about the failures there. You didn't need new laws to stop ahead of time what needed to be stopped ahead of time. You had an illegal drug user carrying on in highly highly dangerous and psychotic situations. He was carrying around a bag of dead cats through the streets of Uvalde. You telling me we needed this law to stop that or prevent that? Of course not. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Little Charlie Pride for you there. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. We do our culture and economy segment with the great John Dombrowski. No one better to do it with than John Dombrowski. He is the president and founder 
of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. His website is Grand Canyon Planning. Dot com. He has his own show right here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth. John, how are you, sir? Fantastic, Seth. What's going on? Well, how's my campaign going to get a picture of me and Dagny on your website? Are you getting flooded with requests for that? Yes. I assume. I, assume I you're, am. You're when, sh- when are you sending me that uh, picture? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. John, talk to me. Um, yesterday, the markets were... Uh, looking a little better today i see a lot of red and i'm wondering is this connected to some of what jerome uh, powell uh, the head of the federal reserve said today uh i do want to get to that with regard to interest rates and recession but what's your sense of all the red well again it, it really wasn't as bad as as i i would have expected okay after and, and putting it together with the the comments of uh the, the fed today and when they had their senate banking committee yeah uh, and, of course, you've got uh, both uh, Republicans and Democrats up there in the committee, which are asking questions and firing all sorts of questions at him. Uh, and, and, again, pushing him on trying to get some answer whether or not what the Fed is currently doing by raising rates is actually going to have an effect on inflation. Uh, and he had said, yes, it should have, uh, you know, an act. It should it should, it should create some type of a, a, an ease on inflation. Mm-hmm. However... Uh, they pushed him on other areas of the economy, such as energy and so forth, and the costs of food. And these are things that, again, he, he did not want to discuss, did not want to talk about, which is understandable. Basically going back to, hey, that's not the Fed's uh, job is, is to worry about energy policy. That's the job of, you know, yeah. the, of, of who's asking of the question. Yeah, right. uh, it was kind of interesting, the, the back and forth on that, if you did hear any of it. I did. Uh, but I, w- I would say this is we had a nice, strong rally yesterday. Today we opened up higher even as the Fed was commenting, and it took a while for the markets to sort of recoil a bit and really just closed flat. Yes, all of the major indexes okay. were slightly lower, okay. but it, it wasn't anything of major significance today anyway. Now, maybe tomorrow investors will wake up and think, "What? oh my gosh, why didn't we react differently yesterday? Well, don't let the colors <laughs> fool you is what you're telling me. Just because you see red, make it, sure you're looking at th- these are, we're talking negative one-tenths of a percent. Exactly. It wasn't cases. It okay. wasn't significant okay. today. Fairly flat. By the way, on that energy stuff, do you sometimes wonder if the inmates are running the asylum, John? Uh, the, the chairman of the Fed, Powell, was asked directly uh, if the war in Russia was the cause of the inflation. And yeah. he said very directly, I mean, this is the big takeaway, uh, one of the big takeaways for seeing. He said very directly, no, right. that it had started before that. The Secretary of Energy, Jen Granholm, was then asked about it because the administration has been blaming, and sure. Joe Biden has been blaming sure. the war. In, and she said, I haven't heard his comments. Oh, my Do you sometimes gosh. wonder if, 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 if the right hand is, excuse me, let me try it this way. Do you yeah. sometimes wonder if the left hand is talking to the far left hand over uh, there? Yeah. Of course we do. You know, it, it's really amazing that uh, I would love, I think, I don't know if I talked about this yesterday with you on the show, is have, has there ever been, right, a, a president that has ever, uh, you know, come out and said that they've done, you know, done something wrong and want to change course? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, but I would say that this would be a perfect time for someone to do that if, yeah. if they really Bill wanted Clinton to. Did it. I, I'm thinking I Bill think Clinton right. with the tax hike. Yes. I remember he did it uh, once. I'm trying to think of other examples And look, of it that. did work out well for yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it did. Uh, and note to voters, it took a Republican Congress to push him there. Yeah, so. that's true. <laughs> Just that's note, true. For, note, to, note to self. So note it to could voters. happen. It, it could, could happen, happen right. after November. So Absolutely right. Uh, we that's should look it. for that. Yeah. By the way, do you have a position, the discussion now is a push to end or, sus- sorry, suspend really the federal gas tax. Do you have a position on that? 
You know, I believe that any any type of relief for for consumers is going to be a benefit, That's but they're talking I'm... about a ninety day yeah. uh, possibility for this, and I th- I think it was was it eighteen. Yeah, cents? yeah, yeah. It's eighteen cents for regular. It's a little more for diesel. I think around twenty five. So cents if for you diesel. fill up yeah. twenty gallons of gas, it's going to save you know three dollars and sixty cents. I guess that could be fairly significant. It can be. And what if the states added to it? Because yeah. the state adds another. In this yeah. case, I think eighteen cents. I mean, yeah. you're talking almost forty cents yeah. at a almost. Yeah, but, you know, at six dollars a gallon or five dollars yeah. a gallon. I mean, it's it's fairly substantial. You 8%. could shave the price. Almost. Yeah, you could. Yeah, yeah. you could almost. But it's get only for ninety gone. days. Well, see, that's the other simple, yeah. stupid thing. I mean, yeah, exactly. and then. Then we just pre-plan the next the next inflationary moment. I yeah, guess. Yeah. So well, we could put that to bed for ninety days. Right. Not really, because put still the price bed. of gas is five dollars a gallon. Just put it to bed. Just yeah. put it to bed for ninety days. <laughs> exactly. And then we're, we're going to come back and have the same problem, which we we're, even though it's eighteen percent, Seth, it's still not enough. We I need understand. to get that price down to into the. You know, high twos, maybe if you're lucky. Well, there are ways to do that. There are certainly ways to. They're do that. They're not talking about no. them at the White House. Hey, JD, yes. thank you. You, sir. Bet, you bet, Seth. Thank you. Security I'm sending you pictures and a lot of them. Okay, well, I'm going to pick the best one. I promise. <laughs> right. Okay. Securities and Advisory Services offered to Client Securities LLC, member of Finra and Sipic and Investment Advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client Securities LLC not affiliated. Check out our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Thank you, Seth. Love you, John. I'm Love Seth Leveson. To call here at six zero two five zero eight zero nine six. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by the great folks at Y-Refi. For those of you looking for a really unique investment opportunity, I want you to check out Y-Refi. They're offering a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a collateralized, secure portfolio. They're a due diligence approved firm that's in the business of helping people dig out of debt and do so the right way by actually paying down those debts. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, and then R-E-F-Y.com. Invest Y refi.com you can give them a call at 855-316-3087 local company you can also visit with them and uh, you won't get a sales pitch they'll just uh, tell you what they do and let it speak for itself all right i wanted to uh yes i got a couple all right why not i got a couple emails having uh during the break uh having just spoken to john dombrowski mentioning the clintons in the clinton tenure uh, I you often hear me promote issues and insights. Issuesinsights.com. It's great editorial commentary and analysis by uh, the folks who were at the Investors Business Daily. And they sent me. Uh, I guess a bunch of you started reading it because you're sending me this article from there. It's great. Memo to the Clintons: Please go away and don't come back. The Clintons are back at the top of the news, claiming in recent separate interviews that we are at risk of losing our democracy. That's how they put it, quote unquote, losing our democracy. Of course, we're not a democracy and shrieking about losing it is the Democrats cover for their campaign to achieve absolute and unchallenged political power in this country. And no one is more to blame for that than the Clintons. In an interview with uh, now talk with uh, talk show host James Corden. A hopelessly silly man who apparently fawns over every Democrat he talks to. Bill Clinton said he believes, quote, there's a fair chance that we could completely lose our constitutional democracy for a couple of decades if we keep making bad decisions, close quote. Two days later, 
Hillary Clinton, who said she won't run for president in 2024, assured a Financial Times reporter that, quote, we are standing on the precipice of losing our democracy, close quote. It's become a Democratic Party talking point and fits in neatly with the January 6th show trial. The implication is that Democrats' political opponents are authoritarians authoritarians who will – well, we really don't know how the Democrats think democracy will be lost, do we? They never say. Voters are simply supposed to believe them. We went through the Trump years being told uh, every month we were in a constitutional crisis. We went through the Trump years where we were told nearly every week – that the walls were closing in on the Trump administration. We went through the Trump administration where we were told by every Democrat with a microphone in front of his or her face that Donald Trump constituted a uh, systemic threat, excuse me, not a systemic, an existential threat, an existential threat to the country and an existential threat to the Constitution. You tell me how many of your constitutional rights on the right, on the left, communist, not communist, socialist, not socialist, Jewish, Christian. You tell me how many constitutional rights any of you lost. I will tell you this. I have never seen more exercise of the First Amendment in dissent against an administration that was supposedly authoritarian, tyrannous, and ending our constitutional rights with an existential threat to our Constitution. I never saw more protest. The only time I saw shutdowns with regard to the First Amendment had to do with religious observance, and that was done by the left in the name of protecting us from a virus that came from China. The only free speech limitations and infringements I saw came from the left on social media and Facebook. Our freedom of speech and free exercise of religion... Part of our Constitution? Are they part of our Republican form of government? Are they part of our democracy? Because that's what the left has been after. So when the Clintons tell us that we, unless we change political course dramatically, which means never elect another Republican again ever, are in danger of losing democracy in America. Well, what are the emblems and totems and symbols of democracy in America they're talking about? Name me one we lost under Trump. I just named you four we lost due to the left. It's become a democratic talking point. Be wary of it. When people raise it with you, ask them, what constitutional right, what part of democracy do you think we will lose? What part of our Republican form of government do you think we will lose? Interestingly enough, I think it's the Republicans who care more about constitutional strictures and constitutional rights than Democrats. I think it's Republicans more than Democrats who look to the Constitution when a piece of legislation is being offered, speculated upon, or contemplated. I think the Democrats are the ones who are the one. I, I believe it's the Democrats who are the ones who don't care about the Constitution, literally don't care about it. If they did, if they did, they would have a different set of talking points with regard to Roe versus Wade, with regard to Planned Parenthood, with regard to uh, the redress of grievances, with regard to parents showing up at school board meetings. By the way, there's another one. Did the Trump administration ever sick the DOJ 
on leftist protesters or leftist dissidents or liberal and democratic parents going to PTA or school board meetings? No. No. That's this Department of Justice. Did the Trump administration weaponize the FBI against Democrats? No. No. That was the Obama administration, along with the Hillary Clinton campaign and its conjurie of lawyers who worked hand in glove with the Department of Justice. This type of talk would never really happen in a country where the political divide wasn't so white-hot. It is where we are today, though. We are at a white-hot level of political conversation in much of this country. And the Clintons were central to the destruction of civility and politics. They were central to it. Hillary, of course, has called Americans she looks down on as deplorables. She's yammered about a vast right-wing conspiracy stalking people to dissuade the press from looking too deeply into Bill Clinton's affairs. Turns out the vast right-wing conspiracy, whatever it was, was telling the truth, and Hillary Clinton was telling a lie. She probably played the dirtiest political trick in American history by enlisting federal agencies to pursue the bogus Trump-Russia connection. That's probably the dirtiest political trick in political history. And it was done not just as a political trick. It was done to make her president of the United States. Think about that for a moment. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Portions of the shoe brought show. Portions of the show brought to you by Balance of Nature, the great folks at Balance of Nature with a great product. You're hearing their ads about what they're doing for American history and teaching that. I'll say something more about that in my monologue in the third hour. But they also make the best product I ever have taken their fruits and veggies, 16 whole fruits, 15 whole vegetables. Take it once a day and capsules that are all total pure potent plant power. The, veg, the, the capsules themselves are also 100% natural and designed to unscrew them and sprinkle the unscrew them, you know, unfast them and sprinkle the ingredients into, you know, a drink or food if you don't like swallowing capsules. They're normal size capsules, but I know some people don't like swallowing capsules. Balance of nature. It's just fantastic. Third party tested for all kinds of impurities, metals, you name it. Nothing added except the fruit and vegetables they are taken from, and they are the good ones. Check them out at balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Well, as I was saying about Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton claiming that we have to keep the Republicans out of power lest we lose our democracy, um, think of everything I just spoke of and then go back and consider how Hillary thinks of Americans she disagrees with as calling them deplorable or throwing around the phrase vast right-wing conspiracy or the dirtiest political trick in probably American history. Probably it was enlisting federal agencies to pursue a bogus Trump-Russia connection. Her politics are in large part informed by Saul Alinsky, who is a master of bitterly driving political wedges between Americans. The Clintons have done that to a fair the well. Of course, she also has claimed that Donald Trump was an illegitimate president who stole the affection, excuse me, who stole the election. She said that, uh, as far as we know, she's never even reversed course on that. You know, as a lot of people are asking Republican candidates, who do you think won the 20, 
2020 election because they think that's some kind of gotcha question. Has anyone ever asked Hillary Clinton in the last two years who she thinks actually won the 2016 election? I don't know why it's one rule for one and a different rule for another. I really don't understand it. I really don't. When Bill Clinton was president, he governed through a permanent campaign, which chronically divided Americans as the political battles that raged every four years then settled down, became a constant conflict in the Clinton White House. It set the stage for an era of terrible nastiness. A poll taken during Trump's first year in the White House found that each each successive presidency after Clinton became the most polarizing in history. Isn't that interesting? Since Bill Clinton, they've each gotten subsequently worse because of the bitterness and the divide that the Clintons injected into the political dialogue when they became president uh, and first lady. You think I'm wrong? You think I'm wrong? Think about who they succeeded. Think about who they succeeded. One of the most genteel and gentlemen in American political life, George H.W. Bush. All right, we have a lot more coming right up. Don't go away. We will be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 